Today we're reading the story of Stephen, uh, starting from Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Stephen is known as the first martyr, that is the first Christian to die for being a Christian, who died for his faith. Um, he wasn't the last, as you may, I might have said before. Apart from the Apostle John, every other disciple died confessing Jesus. Basically, they didn't put a gun against their head, but they maybe a sword or in threat of death said, do, do you follow Jesus? Yes. Also, and then put to death. Uh, also Silas and Barnabas and, and basically every New Testament character died confessing Jesus was their Lord, Saviour and raised from the dead. That's crazy, isn't it? But did you know in the 20th century, that's the 1900s, that gets a bit confusing for me, but in the 20th century, more Christians were martyred for their faith, killed for their faith, than in the previous 1900 years. Or it's 1800 years. 1800 years. Yep. And it's probably quite likely that in the 21st century, which is where we are now, more will die in that 100 years than in the previous. Uh, martyrdom uh, ramps up. So... Come and be a Christian, everybody. It's going to be great. Yep. Um, it's going to be great to stand up for what's true. Uh, and as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And uh, that's where we live, where we know that knowing him is more important than anything else. But we're going to start with the story of Stephen and it's, it's a long Bible passage today because Stephen was not short on his own words. And uh, as you know, the church has just begun. The Holy Spirit's come on the people. Uh, we're still in the first year of the church probably. And last time I preached on this, there was a group uh, of uh, people dis- who were set aside to help give food to those who are in need, particularly widows and orphans and people like that. And, and Stephen was one of those. So now Stephen, a man full of gra- God's grace and power. Uh, Acts 6 verse 8. Sorry. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the other provinces mentioned, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom, and the Spirit gave him the and, and the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops talking about this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, so Stephen... Uh, also in verse 5 was introduced as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and also in verse 3 is full of wisdom 
So Stephen here is a man full of God's grace and power and he's performing great signs and wonders among the people. So Stephen was a charismatic in the sense of spirit-filled man who did wonderful things in God's power. And he also, in the start of chapter 6, the apostles laid hands on him. And uh, many people think that, that, that's, that his great ministry is a result of laying on of hands. As uh, Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, he says to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, you, you received the gift you need to do that, uh, what you're doing when the leaders, or the elders in this case, or the apostles in Stephen's case, laid their hands on them, they set aside for a certain ministry, they prayed for them, and God gave them what they needed, the Holy Spirit needed to do the ministry they were called to. Similarly, in, uh, we're going to find in a, in a uh, couple of weeks' time, that, uh, or next week if you go to Deering, uh the Holy Spirit when the gospel's preached in Samaria, doesn't come until the apostles come and lay their hands on the people too. So there's a close link between the church leaders and the giving of the Spirit, which is funny. Well, not funny. It's strange because people often can think that someone who's filled with the Spirit is free from the church and free from the leadership and they do whatever they like. Yeah? Whereas... What it seems to be is that being uh, with the church, dedicated by the church, under the authority and the leadership of the church, and the leadership is very linked to the, to the giving of the spirit and the exercise of the spirit. Why wouldn't that be the case? The Holy Spirit leads us to Christ, who the church gives glory to and represents. Okay. I just want also jump to a passage to understand uh, the Holy Spirit from Isaiah chapter one, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It's speaking of Jesus here, and it says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. In other words, a tree's been lopped off and it shoots out. And that tree is Jesse, who's the father of David, who's the Old, Old Testament great king, And a shoot's going to come up from this, which is Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That's that's, That's a person filled with the Holy Spirit. Great in wisdom and counsel. And, and power and knowledge and fear of the Lord and uh, bearing much fruit. That's what Stephen was. Okay. Opposition arose from this synagogue of freedmen, which probably means that people used to be slaves who have been set free. Now, synagogue is not a building like it is now. A synagogue was a meeting, uh, I think, probably 10 men in those days. Uh, and uh, But anyway... They met together and they're not happy with Stephen. They tried proving him wrong 
And Stephen's given so much wisdom from God, they can't argue with the bloke. So if you can't argue with someone and he shows you up, best thing to do, try and have him killed, right? That sounds silly, except for the proud human heart is like that, isn't it? We hate being shown up. You want to get angry? Get shown up publicly in front of everybody else to be foolish, especially when it comes with the wisdom of God. So rather than accept Stephen's wisdom, which was obviously from the Lord, they want to have him done away with. So in verse 11 it says, They secretly persuaded some men to say, uh, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words and, uh, against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses and testified, this fellow never stops preaching, blah, 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 as we said before. Sounds a lot like the trial of Jesus, doesn't it? That the same way they acted. Um, they brought up lies. Jesus was persecuted, so will his followers be persecuted. And... There's a good way to tear down people of God. Tell lies. Lies dressed up as truth. Exaggerations, embellishments. It's, a, it's, it's always been the devil's way of working within the church. Twist the truth about people and tear them down. Which people do you want to tear down? Those who proclaim Jesus. Uh, he, he works, the devil works with self-righteousness and jealousy and, uh, and they are supposedly tearing down someone they believe who is evil when actually he's there with a face shining like an angel. Yeah. Sinful humanity says it hates evil, doesn't it? Humanity says we hate evil. I'll tell you what. They often hate good more than they hate evil. When you're full of pride, you actually don't hate evil, you hate good. Because it exposes you. And if someone exposes your sin, then you hate them even more. Which is crazy when you can accept Jesus and have your sins taken away. But not me. I'm proud. I'm full of myself. But I'm not talking about me. You get it. Okay. You see, the sense of good and evil is warped in humanity. And so when they see a good man filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the wisdom of God, visibly glorious, they hate him and want him dead. The devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He always worked the same way. And evil men take on the desires of their father. So the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And what Stephen does is he begins a very long discourse. He speaks for a long time in front of them and he begins by telling them the history of Israel and it sounds good to them until he confronts them right at the end. So to this he replied, this is Stephen speaking, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance, 
not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Okay, I'm, I'm just stopped so we don't read forever and you get bored and go to sleep. But what it, Stephen's saying here is, you know I'm preaching Jesus, don't you? Well, this Jesus is not in contradiction to what you know and believe about Abraham. He's based on him. Do you understand? The same Old Testament, Jesus fits underneath. He is uh, not a new religion. It is Judaism fulfilled. The promises of Genesis that were made to Abraham are the promises of Christianity, fulfilled through Jesus. Then he says, verse 9, Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him. Now, the patriarchs there, jealous of Joseph, it means his brothers, his 11 brothers, sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all of his palace. Now there, you might not realise, what Stephen's introducing is something. There's an animosity between the people of God and the people of God. Within the brothers, the patriarchs, were some who were trying to stop the plan of God. Verse 11. Then a face famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and his ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Haram at Shechem for a certain sum of money. So Stephen starts, he gives an overview of the patriarchs in Genesis and now he's going to move on to Moses. He's telling a long story and what he's saying is Jesus is a fulfilment of this and God has always had one plan and it has always been opposed. As the time drew near for God to fulfil his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt greatly increased, about a million apparently, Jews in Egypt at that time. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family, then he was placed outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. 
Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over all? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Okay, so Moses was attempting to defend the Israelites and instead he was rejected by his own people. He was hoping to uh, become the saviour of Israel in Egypt. We'll get there. How are you going? Staying awake? Good. After 40 years had passed, it's still Stephen speaking to the Sanhedrin. By the way, they've not got any great disagreements with this year. He seems to be telling the true story. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. Then Stephen is going to remind us of a, we're going to see this promise that was made to the Israelites of a great prophet who is to come. And he's talking about Jesus here. So Stephen is saying, remember Moses was promised there would be a great one to come. But they couldn't hear the Sanhedrin couldn't hear this about Jesus. This is, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But the ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts, in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. The Israelites rejected Moses. They rejected the angel and they rejected the prophet who was to come. What's Stephen saying? This one, you know your history, this one was promised by Moses and he was rejected by the Israelites and he's going to say, and you're rejecting him the same way. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an angel, uh, sorry, made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, the moon and the stars. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, Peter, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your God, Rephim, and the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. 
Again, what, people, what Stephen's saying is, within God's people, there are always those who rejected God. They practised idolatry. They rejected the leadership that God brought for the people. He goes on then to talk about the tabernacle. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them and they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Okay, he's got to the temple. That's where they're sitting, by the way, the Sanhedrin, where we're, 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 we're the, not necessarily sitting in the temple, but that is what they represented. The leaders of the synagogue, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the temple. But they were wrong because, you see, they th- were thinking we are the ones in control of the true worship. We, we, we're in control of the temple. That's where God lives. We're in control of God there, Right? And what is about to happen is Stephen is about to put a bomb up him. Okay? That's a simple language. He says this. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will be my resting place? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed him. Take that. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the wisdom of God. And he says, you know, there's always been weeds in God's people. There's always been no tears. They seem to be righteous. They seem to be obedient. They're very religious. Maybe they seem to defend the truth. But they oppose the Holy Spirit. They oppose the righteous one who is Jesus. They appear religious, but they oppose God at every point and they believe, well, what they believe is that God serves them, serves their purposes. And they believe that they alone are right. They do not honour Jesus as the only righteous one. In the end, they belittle the good news that has come to them. These are these are always been God's plan these leaders in Jerusalem it's always been what he's on about and and they've rejected what God said all along that Jesus would be the fulfilment of this they deny the gospel and when it's pointed out they get angry how angry real angry real angry when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this they were furious And gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. La, 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 don't want to hear from you. Don't want to hear from you. Definitely don't want what you're saying to be true. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. God gave Stephen the strength to go through this death as a martyr. The word martyr is the Greek word martyr. (laughs) You've learned something today, hey? But it doesn't quite mean one who dies. It actually means one who bears witness. A martyr is someone who bears witness. You can bear witness without dying and be a martyr. Okay? So, uh, and God blessed him through the pain of being stoned, which means having dirty great rocks chucked at you till you're dead. And he was the first witness or the first martyr to die for his faith in Jesus. It doesn't say he died, though, does it? It said he fell asleep. What does that mean? <laughs> for all Christians, death will be the same as falling asleep. And when you fall asleep, what happens next? You wake up. And where do you wake up? In the presence of God forever. Right? Isn't that good? Yep. <laughs> Maybe even during this service. Okay. God gave Stephen everything he needed to bear witness and then he died. And God has been with every witness, every martyr ever since as they died. Every, every witness who's been lied about and torn down for representing the truth of Jesus. And Stephen in faith was able to pray, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Take me home. And he knew Jesus would. And he knew he was going to the Father. And he knew the gospel of grace. And because he knew the gospel of grace, see, the gospel of grace says this. I am a sinner. That's me. I'm, I am talking about myself now. And there is not one reason that God would ever save me. I have nothing. When God came to me, I had nothing where God could say, actually, he's not such a bad lad. Right? Everything was worthy of death. And God, in his grace, said, I choose you and I'll save you. That's grace. Do you understand that? And Stephen knew the grace of God because what does he pray? Lord, don't hold their sin against them. In other words, I'm just the same as them. I was saved by grace. Save them. And by the way, his prayer was answered because the next line says, and Saul was there approving their killing. And you know that what's going to happen very soon to Saul. He's going to become a Christian. Right? And how much did Saul deserve to become a Christian? He's running around killing Christians. Yeah. And God in his grace saved him too. How awesome is that? Yeah. Stephen knew God's grace. He knew that it wasn't because of anything righteous he'd done, that's what Paul says, but by his mercy. So the witnesses or the martyrs, their suffering's not in vain. 
God uses it. God answers their prayers. The witnesses are not those who say, Lord, kill them all. That's what the sinful nature would say. Get them back. Thump them all. What did Jesus say? Pray for those who persecute you. Yep. Love your enemies. Because we know we're undeserving sinners, saved by grace, saved by his mercy. Do you know, we were reading the other day uh, about God's grace. God's grace is who he is. That's what he's like, isn't it? His love. God is love. God is grace. God is merciful. God is holy. He's all of those things. And you see, he has great joy living out being God. Do you know that? God loves living out himself. He, he is who he is because he, he does what he does because he is who he is. That sounds silly. No, that's exactly what he's like. God is completely consistent. And so it is great joy for him to show grace to sinners because that's who he is. Just in case you're thinking, as, as, as I often think of myself, here I am, a sinner, and God says, all right, I'll let him in. But I'm peeved off no 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 you see and then you might think as a Christian here I am I've sinned again and God's like oh no look I'll give him a whack and then I'll keep him in but we'll see how things go right God is grace and he loves showing grace because that's who he is do you get that and he so so when you became a Christian God said yes I'm going to save you by grace and as a Christian when you sin he shows grace to you and he goes, that's who I am. Understand me. I love you. Yes. Isn't that good? Yes. It glorifies him to be the God of grace and to save Paul, who Stephen prayed for. We enter into the glory of God when we bear witness to this Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And when we accept the persecutions as we join in the sufferings of Christ. And when we don't fight back, we're not those who use weapons and we're not those who use lies either or half-truths or twistings. We're not those. We proclaim Jesus and we accept the consequences because one day we'll fall asleep and it'll be good because we're eternally safe with God who'll take us home. And one day, just out of just a quick tangent, one day you're going to meet Stephen. That'll be cool. That'll be cool, won't it? I want to finish by just pointing out one thing, though. There's a lot in Stephen's martyrdom that seems just like the cross where Jesus died. And there's some similarities with the way he acts. He definitely acts in a Jesus way. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And he said, don't hold their sins against them. But there's a huge difference, actually. Stephen died with God right there with him, holding him, keeping him. Jesus died on the cross, abandoned by God, lonely, under the wrath of God because of our sin. Jesus died to take God's anger for our sin so that all who believe in Jesus will never be under that anger and we will never be apart from him We have God who is always with us. 
Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We have that promise because Jesus was fully forsaken on the cross by God. He, re- he received the full punishment that we deserved so that we could never be unloved. Always with God. Let's pray. Father, we, we just really give you thanks for Stephen. We thank you for his uh, witness to you. And we thank you even more than for Stephen, for you and your faithfulness and your grace which saved him and that same grace that saved us. And Father, we pray that you would cause us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, your son, that we would stand firm in the times of persecution, whatever they look like, that we could go on bearing your name and, Father, that you could go on being glorified through us. Our great God of mercy and grace and holiness, we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.